feel like you could be creative, but you just don't know how to express yourself. Or perhaps you felt creative in the past and it's been quite some time since you've tapped into that. Well, if so, this episode of Creativity Uncovered is the thing that you may just need right now. Hello, my name is Abby Gatling, and I am on a journey to uncover how everyday people find inspiration, get inventive, and open their imagination. Basically, I want to know how people find creative solutions and how they use them at home, work, play, and everything in between. And my goal for this podcast is that by the end of it, you'll be armed with a whole suite of tried and tested ways to summon creativity the next time that you need it. Today, I'm speaking with Samantha Mackay, who is a personal development and Enneagram coach who helps people tap into their true selves. And I'm super interested to find out more. So welcome, Samantha. Thank you. Beautiful intro there and uh, about creativity and tapping into that part of ourselves, which I've recently discovered is far more holistic than I could ever have imagined. Oh, okay. This is a good place to start. Do tell. What do you mean by that? Well, I've recently been doing this project about creativity in the Enneagram, where I've been interviewing people of different types. Because for me, I've always thought creativity was just about painting or drawing, and you could either do it or you couldn't. Um, And as I've been speaking to people, I've discovered so many different perspectives on creativity that I just couldn't have imagined. You know, for some people, I spoke to someone yesterday and she was saying the creation she's most proud of is the relationships with her husband and children and the home she's built. Someone else spoke about um, being really proud of their recent travel planning and crafting an experience that they wanted to have when they were spending a month in Fiji. Someone else talked about their business. Uh, Someone talked about the music they made. But it just was so varied um, that it's been a real surprise to me because I think a lot of us carry around this very limited understanding of creativity that it can only be in the arts or the artistic realm or it has to be crafty. You know, there's something, it's you know, painting, drawing, sculpting, music, writing, sort of anything in that space. And it really is everything. And so right now, even this conversation you and I are having is creativity. This is a form of creative expression. And I never would have considered that until someone commented and explained that to me in one of these interviews. So it's been really eye-opening and heart-opening and soul-opening all at once. Oh, wow. Preach. That is so true. <laughs> that is a that is a really recurring theme in this podcast is that uh we're challenging people to think much broader about creativity and it's not just artistic abilities. It is almost a mindset or a way of thinking about the world. And so how have these people come up with this idea that these are creative acts? Has something happened to them to make them realise or how have they come on this journey? It's been a real mix. A lot, you know, a number of people spoke about not thinking they were creative because they had very artistic parents. Um, and for others, you know, it's it's been it's been different. And for some people, it was their personality. So I spoke to someone who was a particular type that fills their calendar with um 
being involved in groups. And in the pandemic, her diary was empty. And so she had time to reconnect to her true self. And in doing so, could hear her creative voice, whereas the rest of the time, her personality wanted her to be very influenced by the people around her. Um, And so there's a few stories of the pandemic giving space for a way to bring more creativity out. Um, But what really got me started on the project is, you know, for those people who know the Enneagram, they'll know that there's nine core, you know, main types. And only two of those types are described as creative. So type four and type seven. And I'm one of those types and I still struggle to express my creativity at times and struggle with these limited mindsets. But I got curious as to what does creativity look like for the other types? You know, what does creativity look like if you're a type one or a type six or, you know, a type five? Like, what is it? And it really surprised me how everyone, you know, is creative and how they saw themselves as creative and really challenged my own biases about it, which was great. Mm-hmm. So now, because of this project, like what's your end goal with this project? What do you want to do with it? Nothing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. An exploration <laughs> of this kind of curiosity is fantastic. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm a type seven. We struggle to finish things. So my goal was not to interview all 27 types. It was just to interview at least nine types. And I think by the end, I would have done about 12 to 15 interviews. And one thing that consistently people have said to me at the end of each interview was just how much being asked these questions help them see creativity more broadly. And so then what I did was I turned those questions into a like a document people could download and take themselves through that because I was like, well, you know, if you can ask yourself these questions in a, you know, a quiet space and reflect on it, then that is a great opportunity for like everyone to reframe their perspective of creativity. Now, after these conversations, you've obviously shifted your view of what creativity is. Do you have a clearer understanding of what it is now? Do you have a definition that's your go-to? Well, to adopt what some of the fours have said, creativity is everything and in everything. Um, but I still carry around a little bit of a limited bias that that sometimes it's just my form is painting. And sometimes, you know, I, you know, I feel like I've been creative that day if I've been painting or if I've been writing, because those are sort of my frames. And so I sometimes still have to remind myself quite consciously that the other things I do are creative as well. You know, I spend time with a toddler and uh, a newborn, a two-month-old, and I have to remind myself that those relationships and this time I spend with them is equally creative, whether I'm doing something or not. So I think because that mindset of what is valuable in our culture is so ingrained um, and that creative expression can only be valued if it is at particular forms where it's, you know, well-paid and well-remunerated and that's the only creativity that matters, that it's quite a lot to shed this cultural overlay of what is creativity. So even though my understanding is broadened, I think what I got from the series was actually just a lot of great tools that I could use to continually help shift that bias Mm. um, to ultimately let it go. But letting it go isn't an overnight thing. It just takes practice. 
<laughs> it takes practice. And so are you coaching people on that as part of your your business? Yeah. So some people I work with around their creative expression directly. And I think for others, it's it's indirect. You know, whether you're working on someone's relationship or career or their health um, or their actual creative expression, it's in a way, it's all the same thing, even if you're not speaking about it in those terms. Um, the thing I often spend a lot of time with, what I find with a lot of my clients, whether they realize it or not, they actually have chronic illnesses of some kind. But again, we live in a in a world that times tends to shove those things to the side and put them in the background and sees them as sort of a symptom or something to be ignored or overlooked, as opposed to being a real indicator of a lack of creative expression or a lack of inability to express ourselves and having to hold something very painful inside to the point where the body is, I'm not coping holding this thing inside. Um, I have to release that tension somehow. And so I think at the heart of chronic illness um, is an inability or a fear or a shame or a guilt, um, this sense of I simply cannot express my true self. And that really is, you know, true creative expression is just expressing your true self in whatever feels safe and open and easy and natural to you. And so, yeah, I find there's a bit of an intersection there with the people I work with. Wow. So how did you come across that that link between chronic illness and creativity? Well, I've had chronic illness for a very long time. Um, and so I started my recovery process uh, more actively and more consciously sort of in 2011. And in addition to sort of working on my physical health in terms of supporting my my gut and my skin and meditating, you know, for the pain, all that sort of stuff, I worked with a coach and the thing I wanted to work on was my creative expression. And I didn't know about art therapy or anything at the time and she certainly wasn't a specialist in art therapy. But, you know, we started getting me to draw like like a five-year-old because I just was so blocked and stuck in this area. And then we started to progress to just playing with different mediums. And then I just started, I took on the 100-day project and I painted something small every day and eventually took an art class and eventually had my own sort of exhibition, um, a little gallery. But what I learned was every time I painted, it gave space for a long-held, deep-seated emotion to come up. And in painting intuitively, I could just process it and express it. And I, I've desperately needed that, you know, and it, you know, in addition to therapy and, and all the other bits, it was an essential part of my recovery process. So I painted solidly for four years and then I took a break and then I sort of started getting back into it in bits and pieces and I think it's just recently, which is partly what triggered this project, was that I wanted to start painting again, but couldn't have all my stuff because I'm sort of an itinerant, you know, living out of a suitcase type person at the moment. And so I had this little watercolor kit and some watercolor paints. It's all very small, but I'm not comfortable or used to working with watercolors. I've never managed to master uh, watercolors, especially as an abstract expressionist, intuitive type painter. And so all this judgment was coming back up again. You can't do this. You have to start like the five-year-old, the child, you definitely can't approach the blank canvas, all this negativity. And one of the things that my Enneagram mentor 
helped me to see was that was my negative inner critic or my, you know, a very negative internal parent commenting on this, which was holding me back from expressing my creativity in any form. And so what she asked me to do was to only say nice, positive things about whatever I painted. Didn't matter what it was, just whatever. And it it worked. It was weird and uncomfortable to do it at first and it felt really silly. Uh, but then it became such a joy um, to go, oh, yes, I really enjoy painting those those trees. Look at all those colours. Look at that structure. Maybe we could play with that in a different way. Oh, and then well, what if we sort of did flowers or mountains or what if we just did, you know, painted like a Rothko or just, you know, went crazy with it. And it switched the critic into curiosity. And I've always been a big fan of giving yourself the permission to make bad art and how empowering it is. But even I forget it sometimes and it feels wasteful and, you know, like you really shouldn't be doing it. But I almost think there's nothing more empowering than making bad art and being okay with it because the more you make, the more something interesting comes out of the process because it becomes a practice rather than a focus on some particular outcome. Oh, absolutely. And that really like points back to what you said before that we're so trained to focus on the outcome and producing something at the end of it, whereas so much of it is just about playing with what you have in front of you and just enjoying the process and the whole thing of start to finish, starting as an as an amateur, as that five-year-old <laughs> with your paints. Um, that's that's really cool. And so are you still noodling around with these types of things and looking for, you know, once you've mastered your watercolours, are you looking for your next challenge just to keep yourself on your toes? I think I finally accepted that painting can just be a hobby. Yeah. And I spent a long time trying to make any interest I had into this business opportunity. You know, it had to be, you know, again, to be valuable, it had to be something you turn into a side hustle. And I think finally shedding that belief that art has to be valuable to be worth spending time in means that I can just say I paint for fun. This is just something I, it, it's for mindfulness, it's for play, it's, it's nothing more than just my own pleasure. Yeah. How freeing is that, that mind shift? So freeing. Uh, it's taken me a long time to get there, though, but very much so. <laughs> so if it's just for a hobby and uh, everyone is creative, do you think that do you think that everyone should have a creative hobby on the side? Great question. I think everyone probably does have a creative hobby on the side, even if they don't think of it as a creative hobby on the side. Oh, okay. So someone I spoke to. Uh, in the interview series talked about her garden and gardening as being a creative process. I think a lot of people who garden wouldn't think of it as a creative process. Mm. And so I think because humans are all naturally creative, that somewhere in our lives, whether at work or at play, we're bringing creativity in, but just not calling it that because we don't have the permission to use that kind of labeling and language. Mm. Do you think it's important to label it as creativity? I think so. Yeah, because we're all naturally creative and yet most of us carry some sort of like wounding about not being allowed to be creative. And if like 
being human is to create, then I think it's important that we all recognize that that's part of ourselves because it creates more freedom in flow in whatever it is that we do do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That freedom of giving yourself permission to create is such an interesting, such an interesting concept because we've gone from having society putting these limits on us saying, well, if you're not going to do it for money, you shouldn't be doing it, to then us putting our limits on ourselves. How do you, how do we navigate that? Yeah, it's, I've been learning a lot about, about how we internalize these messages because, you know, society can create rules that we need to follow. But then if, if we can then be shamed, we'll follow the rules ourselves, which means society has to put less effort into controlling us. And so I think a lot of us have shame that we're holding around creativity that is part of these internalized rules that we have to follow that we need to let go of. So, you know, the first thing, to do and you know we talk about this in the enneagram world all the time is is becoming aware of it and that can be as simple as asking yourself what are you not allowed to create and it could also be how do you define creativity and how could that be limiting you simply trying to bring some of these thoughts and feelings to the surface means you then can play with them and change them because you can't change what you're not conscious of Oh, yeah. Yeah. So just awareness is the first step there. Always. Mm. Always the first step. That's cool. So how do you think if people were to have like their first step on their journey to tap into what is their inner creativity, (laughs) how how do you do that? Because that sounds like it requires a lot of soul searching or reflection is it, which is something that people don't often do on a daily basis. What, how do we get these skills? How do we build these skills? I think it can be as simple as picking up a pen and paper and just drawing circles or shapes on the page and then just observing how you react to it. So what thought, what negative thoughts come up? What negative, you know, feelings come up? Um, how does it make you want to, you know, react, run and hide in some way? Um, because we don't have to necessarily go out and do huge things in order to um, get our, our ego or our, you know, our inner critic to pipe up and say, oh, that's not allowed. That's not part of the internalized rule set. I need to make you feel bad so you stop doing it. And it's only when you see that's coming up and then that you separate from it by building your own inner observer, your inner witness, to realize that actually that voice isn't you but it's a set of internalized beliefs that may or may not be serving you that you can then start to be curious. Hmm, That voice is being, you know, saying lots of negative things. It doesn't like the idea of me drawing. Why is that? You know, if I'm not allowed to draw, what am I allowed to do? Am I comfortable living that way? You know, and just being curious and making more space for what arises. Mm, It sounds like that would be a very, confronting process for a lot of people like trying to be curious and then sitting with perhaps being uncomfortable with what's coming out of it that's uh that would require a lot of work as well (laughs) and that's it's really interesting you say that because that's you know true like really solid development work is 
uncomfortable. Um, it's not pretty. It's not necessarily about chasing happiness. It's about acknowledging that we're carrying around a lot of, uh, you know, mud, uh, to put it politely, and that we only get to release that or let that go when we sit with it, acknowledge it, and stay with it, you know. And I talk about um, healing and growth as first you have to grow the capacity to stay with discomfort so you can see what's underneath to heal it. Um, And so growing our ability to stay with those uncomfortable feelings really is the first step of inner work or whatever inner you know work journey that that you're on whether it's to heal your chronic illness or to you know change how you are in your relationships or any other aspect of your life mm, mm. do you get a little pushback with your clients because that is such an uncomfortable topic yes and no the ego pushes back but the real self doesn't and so it's about finding space to sit in that discomfort and sit with the resistance because that's where the real you know gold is because if you can stay with that resistance you can release it it's only when we can you know i think it's you stay truly uh with uncomfortable sensations for like 11 seconds and with feelings for like 15 seconds so it's not necessarily that you have to stay with them for very long but most of us don't even have the capacity to do that and so we still have to build that. And so being in a coaching relationship, in a space that's safe with someone helping you be in that space makes it a little bit easier uh, than doing some of it on your own. So it's really learning how to create a safe space either by yourself or in some sort of you know coaching, whether it's one-on-one or group sort of situation. Mm. And do you work with people one-on-one or in a group-based sort of model? At the moment, I mostly work one-on-one, but I plan to add group coaching in the future. Okay. And so how is this all your learnings here about creativity, how has that impacted your approach to this type of coaching? Great question. Um, I use the Enneagram as a framework. And so I use that as the lens through which to see a person. And so just as a, a shorthand, because I know I haven't actually described or defined the Enneagram and people have probably Googled it already while we've been talking. Um, but the short version is the Enneagram is a psycho-spiritual tool for development, for adult development. So as children, it's pretty obvious when we're growing up what the stages of development are, but as an adult, we just feel like we get to a certain age and then it's really just downhill as we age towards whoever old we get. And actually adulthood has a series of, you know, defined stages of development that most of us never really go through. And so most of us are just um, children running around in grown-up bodies for, you know, 40 to 60 years. And so the Enneagram provides a bit of a map as to what adult development looks like. And so within the nine types, there are three centers of intelligence and there are those body types, heart types, and head types. And so what that means from a coaching perspective is with a body type, I do more body-based exercises um, and connect in with the sensations. For the heart types, we do more feeling-based exercises. And then for the head types, more analytical or logic-based conversations that's something to start with. Eventually you need to bring all centers online. 
and challenge someone to start, you know, balancing out the centers. And so I look at that and I think, okay, when we're going to be doing creativity or when I'm bringing creativity in, how does it fit within that? Um, what might be blocking uh, someone from releasing their creativity? Because each center is also associated with a particular emotion. So the body types, it's anger, the heart types, it's grief or sadness at loss, and the head types, it's fear. And so it's sort of using all these pieces plus a whole range of other tools and practices to go like, what is holding your creativity within you? And what are some of the ways we can use like the knowledge of the Enneagram to help you start bringing that out? And so that's why I find the Enneagram a particular, like a useful framework because it can shortcut some of that, you know, testing what might work, you know, for this person because it can get to the core issue a little bit faster and then you can do the practices that will make the most difference. Mm. How did you come across the Enneagram in the first place? Because I know there's a lot of tools out there all slightly different with some similarities. How did you find that one and choose that one as your tool of choice Mm, because I've used a lot of the tools I've studied a lot of the tools and yeah none of them really fit right you know none of them I never thought oh yes that's the one so I first heard about the Enneagram when I was working uh, at a change project and you know the client came up to me and said this is an, an organization of sixes and I went what does that mean I don't understand so he handed me the book and I just still couldn't wrap my head around it. And so I sort of put it down and, and forgot about it. And honestly, if I'd known, that would have changed everything. Um, because, yes, it, they really were an organization of sixes and it was challenging in its own way. And then a few years later, I was studying the Myers-Briggs system. Um, and through that, got introduced to the Enneagram. And through there, um, came through the CP Enneagram Academy. And accidentally ended up in one of their courses, as I'm prone to do. I went, oh, this is it, and um, just went from there. And the, this course I accidentally ended up on was about how do you use the Enneagram in coaching, basically. And that's not what I thought I was signing up for, but you know, that's not what the universe had in mind. And so that's perfect. And yeah, just seeing how you could use this framework to adapt to suit each of the types and how that could support them to feel safer and more seen and heard and witnessed um, in the process to me was just amazing. Mm, That's cool. Do you think that on upon reflection, some of the other tools that weren't quite the right fit for you, do you think that was because it didn't have that creative base in there? I think what the Enneagram brings is a look at our deeper motivations and why things don't go the way we want them to in life and the role your ego or personality plays. And the other tools to me were too positive, you know, too strengths-focused, too reinforcing the current scenario. And in some ways they're they're great um, for different levels of awareness and different stages of development, but where I wanted to go and what really got me curious is why do we get chronic illnesses? Why can't we express our creativity? What stops us from being in our full humanness? And to me, the Enneagram is the the main tool I've come across that really helps to answer that question. 
That's cool. I love that you've got this framework that can help guide these types of conversations and discoveries. Mm. So what is next on your creative journey? Well, um, just to put you on the spot. Just to put you on the spot. Well, there's a couple of things. I'm like, oh, okay. I will, let's say there's two projects. So one of the things I've been working on is being able to publish my own writing um, because that I've had a lot of fear and anxiety around that. And so I've just gotten to the point where I'm starting to put out regular articles and and blogs and things completely just in my own words. Um, my personality's pattern of behavior and trying to keep myself safe was to just talk about what other people had said about things. And so that might look like teaching someone else's version of the Enneagram rather than teaching my own reflections or perspectives on it. And so I'm really excited to finally feel myself in flow creatively around my words because I've written thousands and thousands of words over the years and I've half written several books that I just haven't, that they've hit this creative roadblock due to fear um, in some form. And so I'm really excited to really feel like I finally wrangled with that and to, I really want to nurture the flow I've got um, right now and not take it for granted. So it's the nurturing of that. And then I think the next sort of creative rabbit hole I want to fall into is something a bit nerdy. Um, it's teaching a side of the Enneagram that's like a map for transformational change. So I know, I know. So when you look at the Enneagram, it's a symbol. It's a circle with a triangle and then what's called a hexad is these lines inside it. And most people look at it and think, okay, the nine types are at each point on the outside and the and the lines inside represent the arrows, which is how we you know move under stress and all these resources for growth. That's only one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is that's actually a map for movement. And so the very first step on the map for change is what I spoke about earlier. It's about becoming conscious that we have a problem. So step one is what's my problem? And step two is, well, how do I want to solve this problem? And then step three is, oh, this is really scary. Do I actually want to embark on it? Oh, I can trick myself into believing that the journey is going to be okay. Great. And so something has to sort of push us over that line before we sort of start on the scary process of change. And I really want to study this more in depth and then learn how to teach it in a way that's accessible for people because it's really a very esoteric part of the Enneagram that most people haven't heard of or know about because it's just so complex. So those are my two creative projects that's so so cool and it's it's kind of meta you know you're talking about this map and the scariness and pushing yourself through the scariness yet just prior to that you're saying you're having to do that at the same time with your own writing it's amazing that your journey in uncovering more about the Enneagram is also helping you at the same time absolutely and one of the, with the program I studied with to become an Enneagram professional requires you to do your own development work and assesses you on that. So you can't, you're not, uh, you know, certified, accredited, whatever, until you can demonstrate that you have actually grown through the process. And so that's sort of really key. And kind of once you get started, it can, it can be hard to stop. Um, 
The other thing, the other connection, I think, to the process Enneagram is I recently read a book about someone else's journey with chronic illness. And it's, it's, I can't quite remember the name right now. It's got kingdom in the title. I'll find it and send it to you. But <laughs> as I as I read the book, even though our stories are entirely different, the locations, the illnesses are all different, I still saw a lot of similar steps in the process. And, you know, many of the challenges she had was challenges that I had as well. And it just got me thinking that maybe there is some similarity in the recovery process from chronic illness, even if everyone's journey looks different, that maybe there are still some steps we all have to go through. Some people might include creativity, some people might not, but there's always a need to express something that's been deeply held for a long time. And yeah, I kind of want to make, given how much chronic illness currently exists in the world, I want to make that uh, that tool more available to support people on that on their healing and recovery journeys. Oh yeah, that sounds great. I think anything that can help others heal and better connect to themselves and to others, that's just wonderful. Um, and I will definitely put the links to your writings if you're comfortable. Um, and the other resources in our show notes, because I think this is such an interesting topic and there's so much more to it. Um, but yeah, I really want to thank you for coming in today, Samantha. No, oh, thank you. And I hope we've included enough practical tools for people. They feel that there's something for them. <laughs> I think like with most of it, we're just scratching the surface and there's so much more to it. So I'm sure that we'll be getting quite a few clicks through those links. Um, but I also want to say thank you so much to everyone who has tuned into Creativity Uncovered today. I really hope this episode has inspired you just to channel your inner self and get to know yourself a little bit better um, and that it helps you summon your creativity the next time that you need it. If you've made it this far, a huge thank you for your support and tuning into today's episode. Creativity Uncovered has been lovingly recorded on the land of the Cubby Cubby people, and we pay our respect to elders past, present, and emerging. This podcast has been produced by my amazing team here at Crisp Communications, and the music you just heard was composed by James Gatling. If you liked this episode, please do share it around and help us on our mission to unlock more creativity in this world. You can also hit subscribe so you don't miss out on any new episode releases.